Great. Well, it's uh, been a little while since I last preached, so I'm feeling a bit rusty. So apologies if it is a little bit rusty, but it's a privilege to be back doing it again, just the way scheduling has happened. I've had a little bit of uh, time off, which has been lovely, several months, so, uh, which wasn't the original intention, but it's an honor to be back and just to open God's words to us this morning. Now, money <laughs> is uh, rarely an easy topic to speak to one another about, let alone to preach on. However, it's an important one to teach about because it can be confusing, awkward, and even a dangerous topic at time, if not handled biblically with the word of God in our hands, looking at it specifically and gleaming the truth and the realities it teaches about giving generosity and money. And so it's the Bible, first and foremost, that we must draw our understanding of giving, what it means to God, what it means to us as a church, and then what it means to us as well and how we respond to that. A recent film I watched uh, on how not to deal with money is really driving my desire to ensure that we develop a godly, wise and faith-filled biblical perspective on the whole idea of what it means to give in a right and good way. The other month, Kerry and I watched a film called Through the Eyes of Tammy Faye on Disney+. Plus. There, Deborah Jane's seen it. Uh, you may even remember the events historically, Deborah. You were around back in those days, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I tell you what, it's hard to watch, particularly as a Christian. For those who aren't believers, I'm sure it's very easy to criticise, but as a Christian, it's also a bit cringy and a bit awkward to see all that happened in those days. And as I said, some of you may even remember the historical events it recollects back in the 70s and the 80s when there was seemingly a slew of what's come to kind of been kind of be caricatured as tele-evangelists and you know very suited and booted very charismatic in kind of in the wrong sense not in the right sense as we are uh, but dynamic you know very much out there people persons asking us to sow our seed and to receive the blessing all of which in some ways is biblical language but as is always the case can be easily skewered and easily changed to mean what it doesn't mean So they encourage us in those ways, even if the seed is your life savings and the blessing never actually ever materializes. From several television networks to even a Christian theme park, certain men and women, they knew how to spend their people's money in certain ways, shall I say, in in certain ways. What appears to start out as a genuine desire to reach the lost for Jesus, to build his church and to steward believers' resources well, sadly became twisted so that the desire to use God's money well became a corrupted desire for money itself. Scripture says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And sadly, it can be so easy to fall into debt, go through frauds, 
financial misconduct and even imprisonment if you watch that particular film or know about that particular season of history. But of course, these are extreme cases that's obviously been dramatized in that particular film. But nonetheless, there's a principle there. There's a truth there. There's a reality. It's an historical event that it, uh, that it unfolds. And the largest trees begin with the smallest seeds. Monumental buildings like the granary are first laid on a simple foundation. What can start tiny and small and with every good intention can so be built, unfortunately, crooked or corrupted or in unhealthy ways. So it's important that we learn and practice a healthy and sound principle of giving and how we should steward our money well, understanding how that impacts our lives as individuals and within our family units, but also our church, Hope Church, and our relationship to God as well. It all comes down to where our treasure is. For what we treasure is what we desire. And what we desire is what we invest our giving into. So I just want to read a passage of scripture. It will be the single short passage that we'll be reading from this morning. And it's Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. And this is Jesus and he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the principle I want us to continue building upon, which we've been doing as a church and we regularly do, not just in these uh, sermons we hear periodically, but just by our culture, the principle I want us to continue building on, and perhaps specifically as the 1115 gathering, is that giving is a foundation for discipleship. Giving's a foundation for discipleship. It's not an added extra. It's not for the particularly uh, bold or enthusiastic amongst us. It's not just for the wealthy and the rich. It's for everyone, no matter what your status is, no matter what your background is, no matter where you're at in your journey with God, something called sanctification. doesn't matter. Giving is a principle for all of us to build our relationship with Jesus on. So let's look then, if that's all right, at four ways our discipleship over giving is developed. Firstly, our giving starts, as the passage of scripture just said, with the heart. Our giving starts with where our heart's at. Giving is not about meeting needs, running a church, or buying a building. All things our generosity over the last several years has blessed us with, absolutely, and it's amazing to see us here now living and serving Jesus from this great home and house of ours. But it's primar primarily about our hearts. Before Christ saved us and made us a new creation in him, which if you're a believer has happened to you, our hearts didn't give generously from a place of faith. We may have given generously just by virtue of being a good citizen or a kind human being, but not from a place of faith 
that truly pleases God. We can't please God, the scriptures say, unless we have faith and do everything from a place and position of faith. So I think of, um, or rather, thanks to God's common grace, we can immensely we can be immensely grateful for charities and philanthropists, people that fall into that category of not knowing Jesus, but still giving epically, immensely to good causes. Think of the founder of Microsoft. He's always a classic example, Bill Gates, although I'm sure his wallet was big enough after founding and expanding and selling Microsoft that it doesn't quite hit him as hard, so all the things that he gives do. But nonetheless, a great example of giving. Or charities like Cancer Research UK, among a slew of other uh, examples as well that we can interact with. Great people and great organisations that give generously. But those of us who are in Christ have a unique position and a unique calling towards God to desire, who desire to please him and do so through cultivating an attitude of abundant giving and generous generosity. We're different because we do it because we want to please God. We want to please God and out of the heart of pleasing God, we naturally want to bless other people and give to other people and help those in need. When the Lord redeemed our hearts, he transformed them by the power of his Holy Spirit so that as we continually grow in faith, our desire increases all the more to give generously. Not as a result of nagging, Jesus, please forbid us ever being like that, and especially manipulation, let it never be said of that for Hope Church. Nagging or manipulation is not part of the foundation for giving that we establish here, but by a supernatural shaping of our hearts. And this shaping is progressive, as I've mentioned. It's a journey. Some of us will be in one place with our giving, while others in a totally different place, but we'll all be in some way, shape or form giving. But it can be different. Like a snowflake, perhaps, no one heart is the same. No one person is the same, and no one person's giving is going to be quite the same because we're all coming from different places, and different backgrounds, different positions. But all of us are on a forward trajectory if we're submitting to the Spirit's work, receiving his conviction for some of us who may need to receive that, and joyfully jumping into his invitation to generously give to his purposes. Verse 21 of the scripture I just read in Matthew says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If Jesus and his gospel is our treasure, if we cherish his death and resurrection for our sins, then out of that place will flow. Over time, things need to well up. We need, we need to well up when it comes to giving sometimes. We're not gonna be in the same place as others but it will well up into giving because if he's given so much of himself to us, all of himself, how can we not over time as we know him better and better, give to his church, give to his kingdom and give to one another as well. So just by way of reflection to take something away, what do you really truly desire as your treasure? Where is most of your time, energy and resources going to? Is it bills? Good, we need to pay them as good citizens. Is it the food shop? 
Absolutely, although it's gone up substantially. I know I'm speaking into the rise of the cost of living here, so maybe it's an ill-timed message, but actually sometimes when that happens, it's the best opportunity to remind us. Is it kids' school uniforms? We're at that stage now. She looks absolutely adorable, my Elowin, but we need to buy her school uniform. Uni textbooks, gotta do it, gotta learn. Is it a holiday? Gotta have a break. Is it a hobby? It's good to get out and do different things. All of these are great and important and part of living a life. But can I extend an invitation to reflect on where a generous proportion of our time, our energy, and yes, even our money is going to? Is it Jesus's bride? That's the church. We're called the bride in scripture, one image of how uh, the biblical writers saw the church as Jesus's, as Jesus's wife. We're his bride. Everything else will ultimately get destroyed or stolen, as the passage said. But resources invested in heaven, of which the church is an earthly expression, is the earthly expression of heaven, the church, will never go to waste if we invest here. So our giving starts with our hearts. Secondly, our giving increases when we understand who it all belongs to. Our capacity to give generously increases when we truly understand the source of all our resources, God. I give my daughter, Elowin, who I'm sure you could hear this morning, as you can always hear, uh, lots of stuff, and I get to enjoy seeing her have a good time with what I've given her. Maybe it's a present for her birthday, if it's a special occasion, once a month, I'll pick her up some flowers on the way home because I know she loves that and likes to have them by her bedside table. <laughs> Letting her watch a show called Octonauts, which she absolutely adores. It's changed from Peter Rabbit and now it's gone on to a show about polar bears under the ocean, learning about animals. Very educational, much better than Peppa Pig. Oh, Peppa Pig. Um, but I give her all those things. I've given her these things and allowed her to use them and treat them as her own. But it was me who bought them, or it's me who allows her to enjoy them. And it's me that really owns them. However, it makes me happy to see her happy and be glad in what I've given her and blessed her with. And she knows that she's done nothing to receive or obtain these things. She knows it's all, it's all from me. That's why she comes to me and says, Daddy, can I have? Daddy, will you let me? She knows it comes from me. I'm the source. And so our discipleship develops when we understand that everything is God's. We say my resources, but all that we have has been generously given in abundance from our Father in heaven. The Bible says from him and to him are all things. It says elsewhere, the earth and everything in it is the Lord's. A cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. Everything we see, hear, and experience has its source in God. He has given it all to us. So when we correct our thinking and align it with the truth that God is the source of all our resources, it changes our attitude towards our possessions, or it can do if we see it. We may work well with the skills and knowledge we developed to work competently at our jobs, those of us who work, but it was God who gave us the ability to learn those skills, to process information and providentially placed us in those jobs that we have. 
So the salary that we see at the end of each month, as an example, in our bank account, is really put there by God. Start thinking that way. It'll change your mindset when you start thinking of it in that sense. The Lord has graciously given us an ocean of blessings in our lives. Yes, money, but also gifts, talents, skills, personality traits. He gives us the, the very breath we breathe. He gives us the very electrical signals that go up our spine into our mind that keeps us alive every single day. Everything that has breath has come from the Lord and should praise the Lord. It all comes from him. All that we have is a generous and gracious gift of God that he's entrusted us to steward wisely and faithfully as part of our deepening discipleship with him. If we grasp this reality, then we can expect to see our desire to increase because if God has given us all that we have, why would we not want to give back to God all that we're able to, all that we're capable of? So a challenge for us, why not try to start seeing all your belongings as actually belonging to God? Actually check ourselves for a moment when we get that item or when we see that paycheck, that's from God. Your job was given you by God, work as though he hired you. Your uni accepted you because of God's plan. Learn well as though God were your tutor. Your clothes, your food, your house, and yes, even our wallets and our purses belong to God. So why not give generously back to him what he's generously given to us? Our giving increases when we understand who it all belongs to. And thirdly, our giving is invested well when it's invested in the church. We can be nervous about talking on money, particularly from the front. This is the first time, let you know a secret, the first time I've ever done this, so hopefully it's okay. But it's important and it can be a bit nerve-wracking because it is a sensitive topic. It's a touchy topic for many people. It can be perceived as a taboo subject, but Jesus never saw it as that. The Apostle Paul never saw about that. He wrote to his churches specifically to encourage them and to inspire them in their giving. Jesus was probably a bit more straightforward than Paul and he cut straight to the heart about it. But we want to encourage and inspire one another. Perhaps in our Western culture, it can even seem rude and impolite when we bring it up or when we talk about it. It's something that shouldn't be talked about in the church along with a whole host of other things people believe shouldn't be talked about. But the church is about life and that's where, that's where we should be talking about the topics of life, of one money is. But if we have this mindset that our finances are a secret and private affair, that what I've earned is for my benefit and my prerogative to do with as I see fit, dare I say that even well-meaning, believing folks can err on the side, if I can be so bold, if that's okay, can err on the side of being overly cautious with money, encouraging us to save it all up, gain all the interest you can and store it all up for ourselves to do with as we wish. Whereas sometimes God calls us to take risks with our money, to even spend it in such a way that unbelievers would think we're foolish in what we're spending our money on. 
I remember hearing a recorded talk a little while ago from Terry Virgo of a time when God spoke to him during a meeting while they were singing a song about giving everything to God. I can't remember what the song was, but it is a classic. We sing it quite regularly. Um, and the Lord spoke to him and said, thank you, I'll take your ISA, which he'd just been building up with. Bearing in mind this man had a family of five young kids, a wife, a mortgage, and a lot more of their life to live. And he was looking forward to enjoying that in the future. God said, I will take that then. If, you, if you're singing passionately that I want to give you my everything, I'll take the very thing that I know is a treasure of your heart at the moment, and it's that ISA. Now, I'm not going to say, as I originally thought I would, that that's an extreme example that maybe we don't have to pay too much attention to, because it might be. All I'm going to say and leave lands is what's God saying to you. Maybe it's not an ISA. Maybe it's something else. But you know what your treasure is. You know where your heart is lying. What's God saying to you about your giving? There was a man called Martin Luther, who many of us know, in the 1600s. He was a German monk in the Roman Catholic Church. He was what's known as a reformer because he helped reform the church and change it back to its original apostolic and gospel roots when it was shrouded in a lot of darkness during the medieval times. One of the reforms that he made was to rally against what was a horrendous belief and practice called indulgences. Priests would travel around theatrically, and I pray I'm not doing anything like this, so rebuke me if you feel I have, but priests would travel around theatrically gathering a crowd into a local church and with great dramatics persuade them manipulatively to give all they could or had in order to release a soul, the soul of a loved one from a place called purgatory, which doesn't exist by the way, it's not real, um, it's heaven or hell, that's it. There was, a, there was a saying that was coined when they did this and it went like this, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And if it wasn't a loved one, then they could pay this indulgence with their own little money to take a billion years off their own time in purgatory. But actually, that money was really going to build a grand basilica in Rome in which the Pope would eventually go and live in and pay off the Pope's debts with other nations that he'd racked up because of wars, etc., that he'd been involved in. It wasn't about the poor. It wasn't about the needy. It wasn't about the vulnerable. It wasn't about your everyday Christians. It was about getting all the cash so we could put it into what these people wanted to put it into. Needless to say, though, that's not what we're about. Hopefully we all know that, we all understand that, and I'm not preaching anything new here. Self-interest, manipulation, greed, and wealth are not our priorities. Our discipleship, your discipleship, is our priorities. Resourcing hope so that we can live as a church in such a way that honours the Lord, blesses our city, and helps the poor, needy, and vulnerable we want to come in contact with more and more. That's what we're about. That's how we want to steward our resources into. Steps of obedience and faith will result in good provision from the Lord. It's not always that mechanical, and it's not always a guarantee, because the Lord's sovereign and he knows what's best for us. But scripture does give us a principle and an outline that we're, we're faithful and obedient. We can expect great and good things from him. But none of that can happen unless we learn to invest our generosity into the church globally 
and the church locally, which we've committed and dedicated ourselves to. So our giving is invested well when it's invested in the church. Finally, but absolutely not least, our discipleship is spurred on all the more as we look to Jesus Christ. Let me read a passage of scripture, last one in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And forgive me, this is in a different translation. I've just realised I was going to reference it. But uh, if you just listen, that would be great. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia, a different group of churches Paul oversaw. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Just, isn't that interesting? Just to interject there. They had an abundance of joy in Jesus and their church. They were extremely impoverished. And yet Paul continues to say they still overflowed in giving and didn't restrict themselves. He continues, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, not manipulated, not nagged. They wanted to, because they had the spirit of Jesus in them. Begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, Paul's companion, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, which is giving. Bearing in mind the Corinthian church was a roaring, charismatic church. They were blessed in knowledge with scriptures and experience of the spirit, and yet they still had to excel in the grace of giving, perhaps not so different from ourselves. Jesus was rich. And if you're going to ignore everything I've just said, listen to this part. Ben Etridge, listen to this part. <laughs> Jesus was rich in that he was totally free as God with the Father and Spirit in eternity, enjoying and delighting in himself as the source of all pleasure and joy which we now get to enjoy. Yet for my sake and for our sakes here this morning, because we were sinners, he became poor and took upon himself our human struggles, bearing our sin and disobedience, suffered and died impoverished, rejected as an outcast and a criminal on the cross in our place in Jonathan Dirk's place, in Ben Ettridge's place, in Tim Silk's place, in everyone's place. Why? So we could be rich. And this isn't a health and wealth prosperity gospel message here, far from it, which is itself an abomination. It's a different richness. It's a true richness. Not in money, but in hope and faith and love and joy and purpose and wisdom and salvation most of all but also rich in generosity rich in giving to other people that's the generosity 
of Jesus that's expressed through us as we follow him. That he spent himself to redeem us from sin, wrath and hell and saved us to righteousness, acceptance with him and heaven in eternity. Accepts us to enjoy the very thing he was enjoying with the Father at the beginnings. All the pleasure, all the happiness, all the joy, all the satisfaction one day that we get a glimpse of in this world now. So how can we not spend ourselves and all that we have to be generous to others? Jesus is our inspiration. He's our example. But more than that, if we look to him, if we trust in him, if we abide in his word and if we keep in step with his Holy Spirit day by day, he will give us supernatural power to be generous in ways we might not be able to imagine at the moment, but is possible for the future. Look to the cross afresh and see the abundant generosity poured literally out of the veins of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour on Calvary. See how he died for you abundantly, graciously, generously giving his life to save you Look at him again and consider responding and how you can give back to him, how you can respond to that, not manipulatively, not in a nagging way, but in a genuine, authentic, I love you and what you've done for me, how can I serve you and give to you? So in conclusion then everyone, want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, want to expand into deeper territory in your discipleship, trust us, giving, is an important foundation to start building on that, to continue building on that. To end then, here's what I know has been mentioned before over the years, here's Hope's ongoing discipleship giving challenge, as we call it. I've just added just one, actually, just to start off with quickly as I wrap up. Unbeliever, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, Ignore everything I've just said about giving financially. What you need is to give yourself to Jesus, first of all. If you're not a disciple of his and you know you're not, or if you're, if you're struggling and you need to recommit in that sense, go back to him. Ignore what I've said about money. Get your soul right with God the Father. Come talk to us. We'd love to pray for you, chat to you, introduce you to Jesus. But unbeliever, come give your soul, spend your soul to Jesus before you spend any money. Non-giver though, and those of us who call ourselves hopers, you are welcome as always. We love you, adore you and cherish one another. But you can grow to become a giver. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. Periodic giver. Thank you for responding from time to time. I hope this is okay. I can just say this, but... Thank you for responding from time to time. Thank you for giving what you've been able to, perhaps on the spot or irregularly. But can I encourage you to consider some regularity and some, some continue, continue, what's what I'm looking for? So continuousness in it, some regular giving. Regular giver, it's a great and godly habit to form, but perhaps consider being a proportionate giver. And if you're a proportionate giver, again, thanks for your disciplined kindness, because it is a kindness and a mercy that 
blesses us and blesses our city. But perhaps think about what Paul said to the the Corinthians, excel in the grace of giving, excel in it, and perhaps become what we've called a hilarious giver. Unbeliever, spend your soul on Jesus first. Non-giver, thank you, become a regular giver. Periodic giver, thank you, become a, a regular giver. And then finally, proportionate giver. Why don't you consider how you can become a hilarious giver and let's see our church blessed, so our city's blessed, so God's glorified, so we enjoy Jesus and so we can reflect him and all that he's done for us. Amen and amen.